is continuing on with his dissertation to the Christians at Rome, who were having quite a little bit of uh, dissension in their congregations about what they should do, all over ritual. And I think Paul is trying to tell us, let's encourage one another rather than get, get um, tied down with the ritual and let us start loving each other. So we continue on from chapter 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you, that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. And again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, and one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we'll learn a little bit more about that later on. Let's have our Bibles open at Romans 14. A little while back on TV, I watched a program, a program about migrating birds, Earth flight. And the particular episode I watched that we were watching there focused on a flight of geese, wild geese and their progress over thousands of kilometres and across many countries as they went on their annual migration. And they are seen flying in a V-shaped formation. To anyone watching from the ground and from the aerial photography, it was a thing of beauty. But to the geese, it was essential for their survival. And if you watch them closely, you'll see that at regular intervals, relative to the strength of the wind, the leading bird who is doing the most work by breaking the force of the wind against himself will drop off and fly at the end of the formation. So the geese take turns uplifting one another. 
by cooperating and working together, the geese achieve long migrations that otherwise would be exceedingly difficult for even the strongest bird. It is in a similar manner that God has called us as his people. As believers in Christ, we are to lift one another up. We are to lift one another up. And we are to do this by heart-to-heart friendship in caring, through prayer for one another and sharing in our material means. And if we do this, we can go further into godliness than we ever will be able to do it if we attempt the journey on our own. There was a division in the church at Rome. Paul had been trying to get there for so long. And so he knew he wouldn't be there and so he wrote this great letter. And if you read nothing else in God's word, you should read and study Romans. So there was a division amongst the Christians at Rome over the observance of the special days and the eating of meats and herbs. So that is why in our reading there was all this emphasis on food and meeting, eating and meat. So Paul made no attempt to settle their specific problems by declaring which side was right and which side was wrong. No. He was more concerned that the fellowship and the unity be maintained in a spirit of brotherly love. And to do this, each member, Jew and Gentile, had to watch their words and actions. For they were being watched, as we are today. Each of us knows that. It's funny that those outside the church, those non-Christians or non-church attenders, know exactly how we should behave. So, just like now, so it was then. They were being watched. And so Paul was concerned that if there was fighting and disunity in the congregation and the outsiders saw this, what would they say? Well, why should we join that mob? They fight worse than we do. So, just as today, we are being watched. So I'm talking today about encouragement. Encouragement. Are we tearing down or are we building up? You've got to follow Paul's arguments here for a man who was used by God, transformed even. He had been steeped in tradition. He had been steeped in Jewish law. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he changed from being a man who was putting Christians to death and throwing them in jail to the leading apostle. The apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. And being that sort of man in his own community, he would be a professor. He would be a doctor of theology. And especially in Romans, we see that sort of academic prowess coming out. And you have to follow his arguments. So the outline of Paul's argument in this long section, 14 
verse 1 to 15, 13, seems to be as follows. Firstly, in broad terms, don't reject your brother. He lays down the fundamental principle of acceptance, especially acceptance of the weak. And this means weaker in faith because each one of us is, is at a different stage in our, in our journey, in our Christian walk. And it was the same then. There were new Christians and there were older Christians. There were those who had seemed to have more faith than others. And so what he was saying is those with a stronger faith should not lord it over those with a weaker faith. So he lays down the fundamental principle of acceptance. Acceptance of the weak, which underpins his whole discussion. The principle is positive, yet qualified. It is positive, it is positive because he is saying, accept him, accept your brother. But it is qualified by saying, accept him without passing judgment on disputable matters. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Don't let the constraints of the church bind us up. Secondly, covering the rest of the passage, Paul then develops, from verse 1 of chapter 14, he then develops three negative, deduction, three negative deductions which follow from his positive principle. And he tells his readers and us today, that number one, they must neither despise nor condemn the weak. Do not judge your brother. The Christian is an example to the world. So if we are in the habit of judging ourselves within the congregation, then we do not set and do not show a good face to the world. So he is saying there, so do not despise or condemn the weak. And we see that in verses 2 to 13a of chapter 14. And then in verses 13b to 23, that you must not offend your brother. Do not offend or destroy them by what you do, by your word or actions. And thirdly, the rest of the chapter from 15, 1 to 4, that you must not please yourself, but follow Christ's unselfish example. The Christian is to follow the example of Christ. Even when he was admonishing someone, he was encouraging them and edifying them. He was building them up. He never cut them off at the legs and left them stranded. And so in conclusion, Paul celebrates the union of Jews and Gentiles in the worship of God. He wants to maintain the unity of the body. <coughs> so he wanted those Christians at Rome to follow the examples of the example of Christ, his example of love, his example of unselfishness, his example of patience. Because he is also talking about judgment. Judgment. Now, Although this whole section is largely devoted to how the strong should regard the weak and how they should treat the weak, Paul strengthens his ethical pronouncements with solid theological arguments 
three of which are central. They concern the cross. They concern the resurrection. And they concern judgment. The Christian's own example will be judged. That judgment is certain. That judgment is universal. And that judgment is personal. So let's look at those three central points. The cross, the resurrection and the judgment. Firstly, Christ died for our, for our, to be our saviour. How often we say that. Christ died for me. And when, even when we're witnessing, Christ died for your sins. We have got to tell everyone that Christ lived for them as well. Christ lived for us. And then he died for us. He lived for us in living that perfect, sinless life that we could not live for ourselves. That is what the law demands. That is what God's law demanded. A perfect, sinless life. And we have no hope of doing that. But Christ did. Christ lived for us and Christ died to be our saviour. So the cross, the cross is central. God has accepted the weaker brother and since Christ has accepted us, we must, we must complete the triangle and accept one another. How could we possibly destroy those whom Christ died to save? So the cross is central. But the amazing thing about the cross is point two. The second fundamental argument by Paul is that Christ rose to be our Lord. This is explicitly stated in verse 9 of chapter 14. Christ rose again, triumphed over sin and death, rose to be our Lord sits by his father's right hand, intercedes for you and I daily. This is explicitly stated. In consequence, all his people, all his people are his servants. And they are accountable to him, the weak and the strong alike. Look at verse 12 of chapter 14. So we have the cross. We have the resurrection. And thirdly, Christ is coming to be our judge. We will all stand before his judgment seat on that final day. And each of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. Look at verse 10 of chapter 14. So for any one of us, for any one of us to presume to stand in judgment on others is to assume the prerogative of God. Oh, the arrogance of such a thing. The act, these three acclamations are made in many churches as they celebrate the Lord's Supper or communion 
We say these things. We've heard them said in communion, haven't we? Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ has died, the cross. Christ is risen, the resurrection. Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. They not only inform us of our worship, they influence our behaviour. This should encourage us greatly in our own faith and our own walk with Christ, which should in turn impel us to encourage one another. So in the light of these truths spoken by Paul, are we tearing down or are we building up? If you read the headlines or watch the TV news today, you probably become discouraged. You become discouraged because everywhere you turn, people are tearing down integrity. They are tearing down truth. They are tearing down purity. They are tearing down honesty. They are tearing down respect for others. And they tear down hope. And you have to pick up the newspaper this morning and see a man who is known to all of us and his private life is splashed across the front page of the press. Why do we so delight in seeing the misfortunes of others? And so often we see people who are going through absolute traumas and the press and our media will hound them and expose them at their worst, expose them at their lowest for the enjoyment of others. That old saying, misery loves company. But I wonder where that came from, and I suppose that's the same sort of thing. The Apostle Paul talks about times like these in 2 Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 to 4, he writes to his young protege, the young pastor Timothy, who Paul left to look after a great congregation. And, and Timothy was a young man. And Paul had such, such faith and hope in him that he encouraged him. He gave him so much encouragement. You only have to read the letters to Timothy and the limit letter to Titus to see what an encouragement Paul was to these young pastors. So he writes to his brother Timothy, but mark this, there will be, and it seems like when you read it, it's not the first century. It is today. It is the present. But he is writing to Timothy. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days People will be lovers of themselves. People will be lovers of money. People will be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Amen. That could be the headlines in today's paper. That just mirrors our society. Lovers of money, 
lovers of themselves, disobedient to their parents, without self-control. But I want to talk to you about something better. The word edification. Now this is a biblical term. You probably only hear of it in relation to the Bible or things Christian. It is a biblical term made up of two Greek words. One is oikos, O-I-K-O-S, which means house. And the other word is domio, which means to build. And so it means to build the house, to build the house. It is often used in the Bible of the literal process of building the house, building a house. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ had first-hand knowledge of that. He was a carpenter. He knew how to build a house. A carpenter by trade, he knew how to build up. He knew how to edify, how to build up. So the Bible tells us that just like a building is built up, we must build up the body of Christ. We must build it up through how we function with one another. When you walk out into this world, you walk into an environment that automatically tears you down. And so you come to church. And you come to church to get built up again. To get built back up again. And according to, letter, to Paul's writing to the Corinthians in Verse Corinthians 3.9 For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. We are God's building. We build it up externally through evangelism. And we build it up internally by strengthening, by encouraging and ministering to the members of the body so that they have the strength to go on and serve God in a world that is hostile to everything we believe. So how do we build one another up? How do we build one another up? Well, edification is not about you. It is about the saints. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, everything is permissible. Yes, that's right. You can do anything you want. And that's what Paul's saying. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. It is important to learn to build ourselves up. Yes, we must build ourselves up as well. And Jude reminds us of that when he speaks in verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. So we do effectively build ourselves up through our devotion, through our private prayer. <clears throat> but when we see the word edification in the Bible, the major emphasis is on building others up building each other up, building the church up. I am called to build you up. And you are called to build me up. 
we can become experts at tearing down and criticising. Yet we are to build one another up. Again in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And by that, he says he's doing no other, he's not doing any good to the church, to the, to the body. But, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So Paul is saying, do things that edify the body, that build up the whole body. It's not about yourself. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. He was being an encouragement to the church at Thessalonica. And then he writes to the church at Ephesus, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Paul's very smart here. He's saying that even when you're talking to somebody one-on-one, make it so that if anyone was to go by and hear, that they would be built up as well. So it is not about yourself. It is about the whole body. It is not what you profess. It is what you pursue. It is what you chase after. As Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 14 and verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Again, building up. If I were to ask you today, how many of you are builder-uppers? And how many of you are terror-downers? Most of you would say, well, I'm a positive person. I'm a builder-upper. But building up is something you've got to work at. I'm surprised, amazed even at how easily I can get into a conversation with friends and others and later walk away from that conversation and realise how sarcastic or critical I was of someone or something. It's easy, too easy to say things offhand and tear people down. But that verse 19 tells us to pursue the things that make up that make up peace. Pursue the things that make for peace amongst us, which will edify each and every one of us. We have to do it intentionally. It won't happen accidentally. So Point three is that it's not about how much you know. It's about how much you care. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. This is what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. We know that we all possess knowledge, but all knowledge does is puff us up. Love. Love builds us up. There is an old saying, isn't there? No one cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. Edification isn't about how smart you are, nor about how many courses you've taken in school or college, or how many 
diplomas you've got on your wall. Building up starts primarily in the heart, in the heart where you look out and see people and love them. Point four, it's not about your gifts or your talents. It's about your goals. It's about what you do with them. Again, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, But eagerly desire the greater gifts, and now I will show you the most excellent way, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That mighty chapter that we've heard at so many weddings, if I do it all without love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. We believe that every believer, every believer, each one of us sitting here today, if we are a believer, we have a spiritual gift. But once you discover what that gift is, do not forget what it is for. As Paul goes on to say to the Corinthians, what then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. Again, Paul is talking about edification, building us up. He is talking about encouragement, encouraging one another. There is a sense in which our spiritual gifts ought to be incidental. It's what you do with it that counts. Point five, it's not about your wisdom. It's not about your wisdom. It's about his word, his holy word. As Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 40, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. How do you get built up enough so that you can build up someone else? My friends, it is this book. There are so many self-help books out there. You know, have a lovely teenage daughter by in seven days. I've seen these books lately that are popping up. Be a good husband in seven days. Or do something else, the seven marvellous principles of positive living and all those wonderful things and the, the likes of Oprah and Dr Phil expound these wonderful books. If only they knew, it is all in here. It has been in here for 2,000 years for us. And so this is the great builder-upper. Read the Bible. Read the Bible slowly. Read the Bible daily. But read the Bible. If you're not into the word of God, I can promise you, you are experiencing being torn down by others. If you are not reading the work of God, the word of God, then you are in the process of tearing others down. The word of God is the fuel, the fuel to help you to be a builder. And your love, 
Your love may be tested more by Christians who disagree with you than by unbelievers who attack you. So what should you do when a brother or a sister disagrees with you about how God's people ought to live? Well, there's a few A's there on your sheet. Acceptance. Not all believers are mature. And love demands that the mature believers, the mature members of the family, defer to the immature. Love protects people and gives them a chance to grow up. People may be difficult, but we must accept them in love for the Lord's sake. Accountability. Yes, we are accountable, each and every one of us. We have no right to judge and no right to condemn one another because the judge is the Lord. Each believer will have enough to do in keeping his own accounts right without interfering with others. Ambition. Our desire or our ambition must not be to get everybody to agree with us. I'm right. It's my way or the highway. You've heard those sorts of things. I'm or the boss is always right, rule one. Rule two, if the boss isn't right, refer to rule one. No. Our desire must not be to get everybody to agree with us. Our desire must be to pursue peace not to cause others to stumble and to help others to mature and grow in Christ. What starts as grieving can become offending and then make somebody weaker than they are and then causes them to stumble. And the result may be destroying a brother or a sister's faith and turning them away from the church, away from God. Is destroying somebody else just to have your own way, is it worth it? We have a debt to the whole body of Christ, the whole body of believers. The strong must bear the weak and help them to grow and that takes love and it takes patience. If we live to please ourselves, we will not follow the example of Christ who lived to please the Father and to help others. As we read this passage and try to follow the intricacies of Paul's reasoning regarding relationships between the strong and the weak, it must seem very remote from our own situation. And yet there are two particular principles that Paul develops which especially in combination are applicable to all churches in all places at all times including us today. And the first is the principle of faith. Paul writes that everything must be done from faith in verse 23 of chapter 14. And again each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Verse 5 of chapter 14. We need to educate ourselves, that is, our consciences, by the word of God. By the word of God, so that we become strong in faith, growing in settled convictions, and so in Christian liberty. And secondly, there is the principle of love. Faith, love. Everything must be done according to love.
verse 15 of chapter 14. We need then to remember who our fellow Christians are, especially that they are our brothers and our sisters for whom Christ died, so that we honour them, not despise them. We serve them. We don't harm them. And especially we respect. We respect their convictions. We respect their consciences. We respect their point of view. We may not appeal to a zeal for the faith as an excuse for our failures in love towards one another. So let me ask you a question. What does Jesus want us to do this week? I think he wants us to be builders. He wants us to be edifiers. People who are committed to strengthening the body. He wants us to be encouragers. Let me say this to you. I need you. I need your strength. I need your help. And I need your encouragement. And I know that you need that from one another. So ask God, first of all, to build you up through his word so that you can have a ministry in building up one another in the things of the Lord. Let us pray. O God, our Father, who has commanded us to live in fellowship with one another, keep us from everything which would make us difficult to live with this day. Help us to never thoughtlessly or deliberately speak in such a way that we would hurt another's feelings or wound another's heart. Keep us from all impatience, from all irritability and from a temper which is somehow too quick. Keep us from eyes which are focused to find fault and from a tongue which is tuned to criticise. Keep us from being touchy and quick to take offence and slow to forget it. O Lord God, help us not to be stubborn and obstinate and keep us from the selfishness which can see nothing but its own way. Grant us, Lord, all through this day and in the days to come, something of the grace and beauty which shone through our blessed Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.